0: this is God's truth in action.
1: Welcome to Engaging Truth. I'm your host, Matt Popovitz, and with me on the program today is Dr. Gregory Seltz. He's the executive director for the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. He's, he's been on our program before. It's always great to have him. He gives us great insight. Dr. Seltz, welcome to Engaging Truth.
0: Yeah, Matt, it's great to be here with you and uh, great to be with your listeners again.
1: So, Dr. Seltz, you are in Washington, D.C. You yeah. are advocating on behalf of, of people of faith, in particular on issues of religious liberty. Uh, right. You're there. You're right in the thick of it. What's the What's the tone? What's the temperature? What's going on in D.C. these days? Well, like
0: we said before the election, um, and we talked about this pretty much um, for the last year, we said vote vote the platforms, not the people, because... There were certain platform issues that were troubling to us as a church, uh, and I don't care what your politics are. At this point, I'm just wanting to protect the church's public voice in the public square, and 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 make sure that uh, we don't weaponize uh, conscience differences via legislation, and that's what's happening now. And so, honestly, post-election, it's a little more ominous for the church because the Democratic platform, for good or for ill, has targeted certain fundamental things that the church. Uh, stands for, like religious liberty, sanctity of life, and they've targeted these things. And that means the church is kind of in the crosshairs uh, legislatively, too. And so, you know, I'm just telling people, you know, we, we talked about what, what would happen if we didn't protect those First Amendment rights. Now we're kind of living on the other side of well, what could happen if those rights can't protect us. And that's where we are right now.
1: So religious liberty itself is kind of a broad term. Um, right. What does that mean for us, potentially, practically, for for people of faith uh, on, on a day to day level? What are some of the, the the things we actually do that that might get um, uh, more difficult for us to do? Should certain leg- legislation be passed or proposed and passed?
0: Well, first of all, you know, and and again, to answer those kind of questions, you've got to ask, well, how do Christians, how do especially Lutheran Christians see these things, or what I call two kingdom Christians? We differentiate how God works in the world. God works in the world through his moral law, and that moral law is on the consciences of every people. And so, you know, when it comes to things like religion in the public square or faith in the public square, we differentiate those discussions. Um, All laws are moral. So there's this sense where, I'm, you know, people have this idea that Christians shouldn't have a voice in the public square because religion shouldn't be there. We're saying our faith shouldn't be legislated by the, by the government, absolutely, but the moral teachings of the Bible, which are on the conscience of every person, is foundational to all good policy, and what's happening today is there are different moral worldviews out there, and people are starting to weaponize what I call conscience differences, and so all I'm saying to Christians is, if you love your country, if you love your community, and you think God's... Moral ordering of the world is a blessing to everybody. you got to get in there and mix it up. Uh, it's not going to save the world, uh, but it's going to preserve the world from being worse than it has to be. And that's where we are in our culture because it's God's moral law that's under attack in the public square. I, you know, the, the proclamation of Christ as our Savior, uh, that's never been a government issue for us.
1: So, so it's not really a matter of if... Legislation will assert a certain morality, but 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 which morality is going to be asserted? Because we all legislation is inherently moral. moral. It's just a question of which worldviews winning the day, right?
0: And that's part of it. And I wouldn't say it's even worse than that, unfortunately, because I go back to a lot of Christian, a lot of worldviews, moral worldviews, even secular people have foundational truths, and they think that they're important for society. What happened in our culture in 1960 was this kind of libertinism that came in that says there really are no truths. There are no foundational truths. There are no there are no things that bind us together. And so the real fight right now is between those who believe that there should be foundational truths that undergird all of us, and there's a lot of people who believe that, along with Christians. And then there's this group over here who doesn't think there's any foundational truths at all. And they're the ones who are legislating that there is no bottom floor, there is no shared morality, period. That is a really destructive Kind of methodology for a society, and those are kind of the people that are weaponizing politics uh, against, especially the Christian worldview, but the moral worldview. Any any worldview that has says a no to our sexual libertinism, any worldview that says that there's uniqueness in the male female relationship, anything that says no to libertinism, is now under attack uh, legislatively, and that's what's different legislatively. Uh, whereas back in the 60s it was living that live you know you got your way of thinking i got my way of thinking let's get along
1: so you mentioned um sexuality uh, right. gender um are, are there other issues of of conscience for for a christian that are that are being weaponized or perhaps are soon to be weaponized in the current political climate
0: well again um the the fundamental ones you know we kind of, We think of the sanctity of life, uh, and and that has always been the issue since especially Roe v. Wade. But people need to understand why we're fighting for that. We're fighting for that because we believe all human beings have inherent dignity. And so, therefore, sanctity of life is that I'm not going to suddenly think of your life as something that is not worth protecting. We're fighting that thing, and and that's been going on for a while. But it's the the sexual orientation, gender identity, and, and marriage stuff is the new thing. And the reason why it's the new thing is because it's radically transforming the dialogue. And so obviously we, we've, we're we all broken sinners. We all struggle with these kinds of issues, and we don't think we're any better than anybody else. And so when we meet with people that disagree with us on these things, we have a, a real heart for them as we hope they have a heart for us. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a core group of people who are saying we're going to weaponize uh, our view and say your view is now hate speech and illegal. Mm-hmm. And we're saying, wait a minute, why, why are you doing that? And so, unfortunately, it's the marriage stuff and the sexual orientation stuff that is the is the focus right now because it's the one thing that looks at the church's view of morality, the Ten Commandments, things like that, and and it reclassifies us as unworthy of being in the public square. And and that is a, I mean, we're not the ones saying that of them; they're saying that of us. And so our, and again, I always tell people I'm not in D.C. to politicize our church and we don't need more politics. Honestly, Uh, our view is that good politics can't save us, but bad politics can destroy us. So we're just trying for good politics, but we don't think it's going to solve the big problems. We're not the ones that are legislating people out of the public square, but we've got to fight for our right to be in there or basically our voice will be lost to the culture in which we live. That would be I think that'd be tragic.
1: And, and it was interesting how the conversation has shifted from, you know, in, yeah. in 2015, when marriage equality was passed, uh, the, the conversation shifted from how does my same sex marriage affect you to now saying if you hold a view that's traditional, we we are going to try and push push you out of a, a, a basketball tournament, maybe take away your accreditation. Uh, the conversation has really, really shifted.
0: Well, and I saw this already back in 2008 when the marriage equality or the the marriage defense act, um, defense of marriage act, passed in, in California. So it was on the ballot in California, and it passed. And so people think, what California? That's it shouldn't have passed there. They, they defended marriage. Well, they found out if you dig into the numbers, 75% of African Americans, 75% of Hispanics voted for marriage. It was kind of the liberal elite, white people, secularists who voted against it, and they lost. But the vote of the black and Hispanic people was disenfranchised by the Ninth Circuit Court. Now, I thought it was amazing. You know, in the era of of uh, post Jim Crow, where we're worried about racism and all these things, I thought it was amazing to me that the disenfranchisement of more black and Hispanic people than ever before in, in our history was not a big issue whatsoever. Uh, and I already saw the writing on the wall that there, this agenda was coming down and it was going to sweep away all kinds of, protections and things like that and so all i'm saying to people is look we've got to be willing to get we want our first amendment freedoms and protections but then we have a first amendment responsibility to actually try to bless our culture with god's moral ordering of the world and so we're not fighting for these things just to protect ourselves we do have to get in there and say here's why i think it's better for all of us and so, you know, we're, you can already see if we don't defend God's moral ordering of the worldview, this world will start to categorize it as hate speech and it'll, it'll send it out, uh, it'll put it out on the curb to be picked up by the garbage man, uh, societally. And you saw that with the Oral Roberts thing. I think you also saw that. I think there's some Christian kids now that are suing their, their university. Uh, because of their restrictive views of of marriage and restrictive views, I just saw this the other day, and I thought these were kids at a particular university suing their Christian university because they don't think it's inclusive enough. And you're like, okay, this is where this is going.
1: Yeah, you make an interesting point that we we believe as as Christians that that our uh, our view of the of the world with with a with a biblically derived scripturally derived moral center is, is not just a way it's not just good for us um right. and protecting it's not just about protecting us but it's really about believing what's what's Good for our neighbor. It's it's a, it's a way of loving our neighbor because we believe that what we believe is that if we if we follow God's ordering of the universe, that it equals just human flourishing in general, right?
0: It, yeah, it's not going to save us because uh, there's another problem that's bigger than just yeah. you know. But it's gonna it will bless us. And so I'll give you an example. I mean, right now at issue in our culture is this notion that you have God given inalienable rights, unalienable rights. Well, if there, it, so if Darwin actually supplants God, and there is no God, and it's just all secularity, I'm telling you, you have no unalienable rights either. <laughs> and then the government will tell you what rights you have and what ones you don't, and I'm telling you that tyranny comes really quickly. So this notion, I think Dennis Prager said it this way, if you're in America and you don't believe in God, act as if you do, because your your rights depend on it. Now, I don't know if I want to go that far, but... But you see what I'm saying. And, and so there's this notion that the Christian worldview, I even say this, Matt, I say this notion of differentiation of church and state. I say that's a Christian worldview. He say, what are you talking about? I said, well, every other worldview subjugates the church to the state or subjugates the ch- state to the church. But this notion of church and state as both legitimate authorities, which is an American ideal, is a Christian worldview. And so people say separation of church and state. I go, oh, I didn't know you were Christian. Of course, they're probably going to say, I'm not Christian. Well, you're living in the benefit of a Christian worldview nation. So I think we can make a lot of arguments like that, that bless other people, even if they don't believe what we believe.
1: So what does an engaged citizen of faith um, need to be uh, aware of and uh, uh, looking at right now in in terms of what's happening in Washington? What, What do we need to keep our eyes on?
0: Well, like I said there's a I call it secular puritanism. I think there is a secular puritanism in our culture. I do think there is a religion that's trying to supplant Christianity and culture. It just happens to be secular and it happens to be puritanical and um, they don't believe in forgiveness they believe in um, you know it's kind of like in the old days when you think of the witch trials we just we just get rid of evil <laughs> of course, that evil eventually gets rid of us too but I think that's what's going on, and I hate to say it, but it's actually codifying itself into public policy. And so one of the great geniuses of the founding fathers is they said, we do believe that free Christian uh, – well, we were mostly Christian at that time, but free, religiously motivated, self-directed citizens was the key to, to liberty, and binding the government was key to that. Um, that's being overturned legislatively. And so I, I think Christians, if they want to get involved – that's the first and foremost, just push back and say to government, you don't belong in some of these places. You usually mess it up. I don't think the government should be defining uh, what a healthy marriage is. I, I think that was crazy that they got that involved in that discussion. Um, uh, it, in fact, let me tell you the Lutheran view of, of gay marriage, just to let you know is, is not whether we want the government to uh, codify our view of marriage or the, or the homosexual view of marriage It's what's the role of government in marriage. And so, Governments don't grant rights. They only take rights away. So why would the government take the rights away of a man and a woman and make them sign a contract called marriage? Well, it's because that's the only union that can have a citizen if it goes to sleep tonight. They can go to sleep tonight and have a new citizen tomorrow, and the government doesn't want to raise your kids. That's the only reason government should be involved in marriage. If they can't leave their nefarious hands out of that, then they should get out of the whole business. Well, the last thing I want them doing is defining what a good marriage is for everybody. Because if you knew some of these d c people you wouldn 't want them doing anything like that, so you see the difference there, and there's a lot of activists on the other side of the at that equation who go, hey we like your we like that Lutheran view of what's the government's role, even if we disagree with your view of marriage and I think we can fight for those kind of things politically, uh, and you'd be surprised at who might come on our side in the meantime
1: there's been a lot of conversation in the last few weeks uh, about something called the equality act right. for, for those who maybe aren't familiar with the equality act, um, what it was proposing, um, whether or not it's uh, the likelihood of whether or not it's going to pass.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh, could you, could you fill us in a bit?
0: Well, see, and the hard part about DC is the euphemisms. Um, the equality act presumes something and then it set it solves something. And I think it actually creates a whole new discrimination. It really is an intolerance of traditional Christianity Act, and it's elevating the notion of sexual orientation and gender identity, uh, uh, which was it's its kind of redefining the word sex in the Equality Act. I mean, in the um, um, in the civil rights legislation in 64. So technically, what it said in the civil rights legislation was you cannot discriminate versus a man or versus a woman. You cannot discriminate by sex. Well, they're changing that word to mean sexual orientation and gender identity, which is a very fluid thing. Um, once the bi- fundamental biology that binds us all is kind of abrogated, now we're in this, what do you mean by all this stuff? And then anybody who says, well, there's only two sexes or there's only one, uh, there's marriages between a man and a woman for life they by definition now are violating this this new Equality Act and this new Fairness Act. And so it's going to actually take away uh, First Amendment protections for churches, schools, healthcare organizations. It's going to actually redefine us in terms of our public accommodation and culture. And it's going to open up the church to litigation uh, when the church is basically saying we've had this teaching, which is physiologically uh, defensible, sociologically defensible, biologically defensible, we've had and theologically defensible, now suddenly it's ruled as hate speech or it's ruled as speech that can be, uh, we can sue against that. So this Equality Act is is elevating this sexual orientation, gender identity to a fundamentally protected class. And my struggle with that is it's, it's a malleable thing. So you could be, you could define yourself one way one day you could define yourself another way another way and somehow the church has to acquiesce to these, these, uh, these moving definitions and you, you and I both know this that when you're a, a pastor you used to say to people living together is just not right you know it's going to destroy your ability to be healthy in marriage and intimacy and all these things and it's going to separate you from your healthy relationship to God well suddenly that kind of speech is going to be redefined as hate speech because it actually makes people uncomfortable with their, their their lifestyle. Well, the Bible speaks the truth to all of us in our lifestyles. And we're just saying, let us be free to actually do that. Speak that truth in love and in humility and in graciousness and mercy. The Equality Act will actually take away the protections
1: to do that. Sadly. What, what do you think of the, the likelihood of the Equality Act as it, as it stands now uh, is it getting passed?
0: Yes. If it was fifty-one forty-nine in the Senate, it would already be law. Mm. And, yeah. See, we tried to tell people this before the election. We said the election was about platforms, not people, and this was fundamental to the platform of the Democratic Party, and it, it was actually targeting the church. and And we we talked about the Virginia Values Act. That's actually functioning now in the state of Virginia because they've taken over the whole legislature and the and the governorship. And so they put it into law. And here's here's an example of what that could mean. A little boy comes to school, you have a dress code, he puts on a dress, he work, comes to school, and you say, um, sorry, honey, you've got to go home and put on your shorts because boys don't wear dresses to, to school. Well, you'll have a lawyer that afternoon uh, who's going to bring uh, charges against the school for violating the Virginia Values Act. And it's $100,000 per incident to those who bring the uh, le- the litigation and unlimited damages per incident. And all we're saying is, well, wait a minute, we, we differentiate boys and girls because that's a good thing. It's a good thing to protect our girls. It's a great thing to, to co-equality, but differentiation, all that will be gone. And if it starts in, in all these discussions of, of who's in charge of raising the kids, all that will be gone. You know, So it's, it's literally jumping in and putting the state in charge of everything, in, including the raising of our kids, the teaching of our kids, and all of these things. And to see that 100,000 per incident and unlimited damages, it wouldn't take too many, uh, lawsuits and, and, our schools would be out of business. And that's, so that's the Virginia Values Act is happening right now. And we're actually fighting that in court, uh, with Alliance Defending Freedom. And we're trying to push back on that and show that it's unconstitutional, but they've enacted that law and there's already litigation coming down the pipe. Well, the Equality Act will make that a federal law.
1: What are some what are some hopeful things that you're seeing right now uh, well, in, I, in D.C. and politics?
0: I think people of all swipes and including liberals and uh, conservatives and everyone in between are saying, wait a minute, this is not the culture. This is not how politics cannot save us. We're seeing that there's moderate Democrats. By the way, there's 20 million pro-life Democrats, too. They're just not on their platform. We're trying to help that along, too. So. There are people saying, wait a minute, we, we, we thought it was just about making sure everybody was nice to each other and fair to each other. And then they're finding out, no, it's putting certain worldviews out of business, keeping them out of the public square. So people are waking up to it. Unfortunately, we gave that methodology, we gave it power because they own the, the, Congre- they own the uh, Congress, they own the eh, Congress, they own the Senate's 50-50, but they have the, the, the vote and George Biden, uh, Joe Biden has already said he'll sign it in the laws. So even some Democrats are saying, hold on. Hold on. We didn't vote for that because we didn't know that was really what it was. So there's hope in that. And I guess the hopeful thing for me is I think people really do want to be good neighbors to each other. I, I've, I've served in New York, Los Angeles, Dallas. I've served in tough places. I've served in places that are diverse and multicultural. I've never lived in any community that didn't want to try to be good neighbors to each other. And so I think some people are starting to say, what is, what's Washington doing here? They, they, this is not their role in our life and i think some of that's starting to to take root in the political uh, realm too but politicians like to be in charge and they don't really sometimes even care about the way we want these things to go and i think that's a real issue in our culture today
1: yeah, and, and this is perhaps a a bit cynical of a view, but po- politicians, it seems, have a vested interest in keeping us angry at one another and keeping <laughs> yeah. us polemicized because yeah. it, it ultimately keeps us deeply entrenched in their respective camps and thus granting them uh, that much more kind of power and authority over our lives. You know, if we think life yeah. and death, politics is a matter of ultimate security and ultimate life and death and that the guy who right. is on the other side politically through me is... Is, uh, is, is as demonized as the polit- politicians say they, say, say they are, then, that I'm granting my politicians, my political leaders, uh, authority over life and death, right?
0: Well, and, you know, one of, I learned this the hard way, Matt. I learned it in urban ministry because my goal was to always empower my neighborhood. And so it was help rebuild the family, help get good education in the neighborhood, and hope that they came to faith in Jesus and saw why we did it, you know? But even if that didn't happen, I want to empower the neighborhood. And then you find out that the alderman doesn't want the same thing you do. Because yeah. if they're empowered, then the alderman's not needed. And that's when you started to see what politics was like. Then suddenly your preschool didn't get certified the way it was supposed to. And there's a few more things you had to go through. That's where I learned this. And so I would say this right now. Politically, you've got two parties. You've got the Democratic Party that really does believe that government can solve your problems. Then you've got the Republicans who say, no, we believe in you. But when the time comes to act on that, they don't always do it. You know, so you've got two parties who still really aren't willing to say that the citizens can take care of themselves in most of these issues. And that's troubling, but the church should be about empowering the people it serves. And so if politics gets in the way of that, then we got to push back on that and, and do what's best for our constituents and, and hope and pray that they see that we want them to come to know Jesus. That's the main reason why we do all the stuff that we do. So that's what I've learned about politics. That's why I said good politics cannot save us, but bad politics, can destroy us. So don't look to politics to solve the big issues of life.
1: Dr. So it's always a fascinating conversation when we chat with you. Where can people go to find out more about the work that you do and the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty? Well, if you go to our
0: website, lcrlfreedom.org, uh, we've got all kinds of resources. In fact, I just put up one of our liberty alerts. We have a, a weekly uh, podcast that goes up. We have a devotion that comes on Monday and an op-ed that comes up on Friday every week. All kinds of resources, our mom-and-pop papers about these issues. I love that. 500 words or less talking about these kind of issues that you can really digest. But lcrlfreedom.org, uh, just check us out because it's all free. It's all there for you.
1: Dr. Gregory Seltz, thank you for being on the program. Thank you for uh, the wisdom and the insight you bring to all the things that are going on in Washington and uh, all the things related to religious liberty. Thanks for being a guest on Engaging Pleasure. Truth.
0: Thanks, Matt. Great to be with you.
1: Great to have you, and and thank you to our listener. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we hope that you'll join us right here, same place, same time, next week.
0: Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries.
1: Thank you.